Hello, hello, hello. Uh, welcome everyone to Demote Mitch Monday. Uh, we're the Mitch McConnell Retirement Committee and we're coming to you uh, to talk about what is going on with all things Mitch McConnell. Uh, and of course, as we have been doing since we very tragically failed <laughs> in our mission to uh, uh, retire Mitch uh, in, in November, we've been focused on Georgia. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Georgia, uh, and we've got a really uh, fantastic show for you today, I think. We're going to be doing Mitch in the News. We've got an important call to action about how you can get involved with Georgia and the Georgia Senate uh, runoff uh, to demote Mitch. We're joined by Dr. Brian Clardy, an associate professor of history from Murray State, to discuss the Georgia runoff elections and uh, other elements of history and politics uh, so uh, before we get into that, though, we're going to introduce you to our hosts, co-hosts. Got a very exciting shakeup today, welcoming back uh, a former co-host, a prior co-host uh, mm -hmm. you haven't seen for a while. Uh, and of course, as we do every week, who are you, where are you, and what does your protest sign say today? And so, uh, of course, I'm Aaron coming to you from Childsburg uh, in uh, Lexington. Uh, my protest sign says today, uh, says wear your damn mask. Uh, that is definitely an issue that I think we got to get better on right now uh, as we deal with this coronavirus uh, heating up again. Uh, and uh, coming to us from, uh, from down the road a little bit, Kimberly, are you there? I am here, Aaron. Hi, everybody. And um, I'm coming here from Louisville, Kentucky, in my beautiful home. And my protest sign says today, my earrings. <laughs> Black girls rock, especially Alpha Kappa Alphas. Because, you know, Kamala. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that everybody, you know, pink and green for life. That's my protest sign. Wait, you're protesting your sorority? I don't get it. No, I'm uh, protesting that um, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump better get out of the way because us ladies of the pink and green, 20 pearls for the pretty girls, will take them down. <laughs> All right. That's fantastic. Uh, and then coming to us from the other side of the state, who are you? Hello, me? Samantha. Yes. Hi, <laughs> I am Samantha Jean. Yeah, me. And I am in Cadiz, um, and I'm and I'm hibernating. So personally, um, I have no interest in making a protest right now. My sign would say, uh, "Stay home. Just stay home, you guys." But if I was directing my message at Mitch, I would say, "Who do you work for?" Because I don't think you're working for me. No, no, he's not working for you. I mean, I don't know you that well, Samantha Jean, but my hunch is you are not a, you know, corporate fat cat who's been making, you know, $100,000 donations to Mitch's uh, reelection campaigns. You probably don't have this like undying need for, uh, you know, corporate legal protections uh, like, you know, most of his uh, folks, his, his, his true constituents. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, all right. So really exciting show. Uh, we're going to start things off with Mitch in the news and a few key stories that we are following right now. And I think Samantha Jean, take it away. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I'll just keep going. Yeah. So at this point, many people are losing hope that another stimulus package will ever be passed. Um, Mitch McConnell seems firmly dedicated to denying relief for millions of Americans as COVID rages on. Both the House and the Senate have gone back and forth proposing different packages. House Democrats asking for up to $2.2 trillion in added stimulus. But Senate Republicans have set a firm cap on spending, wanting to keep this next package under $1 trillion, calling it a relief package. It's not so much a stimulus, but whatever. Um, Lawmakers say that the relief bill will likely not include any more of those $1,200 checks. Um, This comes as a blow to many Americans struggling with unemployment and the threat of eviction. Mitch says that the $300 billion needed to cover the cost of all of those checks is just too much to ask for. His proposal is three times that amount at just $900 billion, which is needed to ensure that we don't have a government shutdown. I guess he's not so worried about the uh, the American citizen shutdown, um, but he definitely has his priorities. The proposal is expected to include about $300 per week in bonus federal unemployment payments, providing relief just as emergency aid payments at regular benefit levels are set to expire at the end of the year. It would extend a freeze on evictions for people who cannot pay their rent and reauthorize the protection, the Paycheck Protection Program to give a second round of subsidies to businesses struggling through the pandemic. Um, so that's that's pretty good. President-elect Joe Biden is in favor of the compromise, saying that families need help now. Uh, and there are talks about possibly having a round of stimulus checks after Biden is inaugurated on January 20th, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. The likelihood of another stimulus bill passing in January will undoubtedly hinge on whether or not the Georgia runoffs for two Senate seats go blue. Yeah, so this is a, is you know, this is a more, big story, right? Uh, more yeah. So depending on whether or not um, those two Senate seats are, are, are awarded to the Democrats, um, that's really going to make a huge difference on the future of our of Congress's legislation and what we're going to be able to get passed in the near future or really in the next four years. So, Right. So the stimulus is one piece of, you know, how Mitch's yeah. power is indicated, uh, you know, like, what does this mean? It means if Mitch is in control, nothing good happens, right? <laughs> like, you know, the takeaway is that Mitch Basically. has got his priorities. They are not our priorities. Um, what is, you know, what I'm hearing right now or what I'm reading right now is in the kind of final hours of trying to get this thing done in this much smaller package that, you know, you know Mitch basically got his way, right? Because the house version was multiple trillion dollars uh, this is far closer to what, you know, what the Senate wanted, which like, you know, I think, I think he brought up like a $500 billion package. So this is his, you know, big negotiation. He went up to 900 or something like that with no, no direct payment, no new direct payments. Um, but what we are hearing is that, you know, this version might not pass because Mitch is demanding, you know, protect legal protections for corporations he doesn't want money to go directly to states or govern local governments that need the money. You know, it's it's the Mitch is give him credit for being consistent, right? Uh, he's like said from day one, let the states go bankrupt, 
and let, we got to protect the corporations so none of them ever go bankrupt and, you know, from lawsuits, right? Uh, and that is that's, exactly- That's really what why I had to say, it's really why I wanted to ask, you know, Mitch, who do you work for? Because we, we're actually seeing a lot of this coming out in the media right now um, of the, the Paycheck Protection Program the last time went through and we're seeing tons of billionaires. Um, we're seeing Jared Kushner. We're seeing Mitch McConnell's wife. Um, we're seeing tons of these just giant corporations who got this relief for their businesses. While if you remember, you know, I know business after business of real people that I know who said we got denied, we got denied, we got denied. And while, you know, tons of money is flowing into the hands of these people who, who already had um, lots of money. So if we're considering that this new bill, which is, he's pretty adamant that it's not going to be going to any of the regular people, it's just going to be going for businesses. Okay, absolutely. We we can all agree that small businesses need help. They needed help the last time, but the result, what we actually received, was that these already billion-dollar companies and extremely wealthy, you know, people who had some cushion, um, though that that's where that money was going to. So, where do we think that this upcoming round of of money is going to be going to? Who do you work for, Mish? Who do you work for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Kimberly, you have any thoughts on the stimulus and what's going on in DC, or should we move on to your to your your story? Um, I don't think we have enough time to get all of what I feel about uh, Mitch. Better have our money, uh, but yeah, yeah. Let's move on to uh, Mitch McConnell and his op-ed that he did in the Courier Journal about all of his civil rights uh, and activism that he's done and claims allegedly. And I did a little bit of research on my own. And yes, it appears that when Mitch started off so, so long ago, uh, most of us were probably preteens or teenagers when he started in the business of politics. And there was, he was responding to someone who did an op-ed themselves, uh, Mr. Dwayne uh, Tutt, who is an economist who questioned what happened to the young Mitch that he knew. We're all asking that. What happened to that young Mitch, that Mitch that wanted uh, health care for everyone, that Mitch that was in D.C. that heard one of the most famous speeches ever known to mankind by the late uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King? And although he says in the op-ed, he was unable to hear all the words because he was so far back, but he knew that that was a pivotal point in his life. And then also, you know, he says that his dad was very active with the Urban League. So he knew at an early age about diversity. So what happened to that young Mitch? What happened to that young Mitch that helped and understood in 1991 that we needed a civil rights act for equality in pay. That was 1991. What happened to that young Mitch? What about the young Mitch who started the Mitch McConnell Center at the University of Louisville, which he is an alumni? I had the pleasure of meeting uh, the late attorney Johnny Cochran who Mitch McConnell brought to the University of Louisville. And I was one of the ones selected and chosen to help with that uh, event 
and got I got to meet uh, Johnny Cochran and had a book signed and all of these type of fabulous things. So what happened to the young Mitch? Well, we can see what happened to the young Mitch. I don't think that he ever was really about people of color, number one. Number two, he started tasting the power. Power is a most uh, atrocious, should I say, type of energy drink for someone. The power and the money and the title and the power and the words and everything that he can weld as this powerful man. This man is the most powerful man in America and he uses his power not for anyone for any type of civil relations or equality or anything against discrimination. I believe that also Mitch McConnell has a psychological disorder called white supremacy. Many psychologists and psychiatrists all over the world are now saying that white supremacy is a psychosis. Can he take some medicine for it? No, there is no prescription that can be given, but through ample time of therapy, and help and support, maybe that old Mitch that was trying to move up the ranks can truly be who he is. So when people say, well, Mitch is this for black people, he's not for me, I know that. He's not for anyone but himself. So this is what happened to that young Mitch. Back to you, Aaron. Uh, thank you so much, Kimberly. Uh, yeah, I, I I found that op-ed just really, just astounding, right? You know, this is a guy who famously, you know, collected a check in front of a, you know, Confederate flag. This is a guy who, you know, famously said that he would not campaign in the black parts of Louisville. This is a guy, you know, give me a break, you know, go ahead and write, rewrite your history, Mitch McConnell, but no one's buying it. You know, maybe you get it in the Louisville paper of record, so it's there for all time. But, you know, it, it's lies. And don't, you know, don't convince yourself of otherwise, because you're not fooling anyone. Well, know. Aaron, you actually can't because, uh, as Rachel Maddow likes to say all the time, and is so incredibly true, don't listen to what they say. Look at what they do. And throughout these um, decades, because it's been many, many decades, what has Mitch McConnell actually done for Black Americans, and especially right here, his constituency in Kentucky of Black folks? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Samantha Jean, any thoughts on that one? Oh, wow. Um, just to to give a nod to Mitch McConnell's political career, um, which has spanned actually more than my entire lifetime, um, he uh, he gave a wonderful acceptance speech. I'll say that I was actually intrigued watching his acceptance speech. I thought was very um, warm and and friendly and uh, and you know he he definitely knows how to do his job which is to craft a specific persona um, that's going to be needed for what just for uh, to serve him in that moment because when we look back and we see exactly what he has done 
it's almost just a, I mean, just a whole lot of, of nothing. And I can't even say, I, like, I've actually, I met Mitch McConnell when I was a child, when I was eight or nine years old, went and, and visited him and, and met him in his office. And um, so to think to even have that kind of proximity with uh, a member of Congress, and I can't even think of like anything, like anything that I can be like, man, Mitch McConnell did this for Kentucky, you know, much less the entire country. Like I am at a loss for what he for what he has done for Kentuckians. And as much as his wealth has grown and grown, our state is one of the poorest in the in the nation. We have um, some of the the lowest levels of education, and we have um, a lot of people who are uninsured or who have who have terrible health care. I mean, the kind of legacy that somebody is going to lead, he has been in office for 35 years, 35 years. That is, like I said, my entire lifetime. And how, how, do, just how? How, how indeed. Uh, yeah, so 30, 35, 36 years in power. What's his legacy for our state? Well, he doesn't really care. His legacy is all about reshaping the federal judiciary, right? That's that's what he gets power. That's it. His power accumulated for his worldview, which is that corporations really should just run the world. So he's you know doing everything in his power to make that happen. Uh, yeah. So if you haven't seen it, he's got his you know his victory speech uh, online, uh, which Ken has gone through and did a fact check on. We will go ahead and share that out to uh, our Facebook page so you can look at it. Uh, it's really I think you know well done. Uh, and hard hitting. Uh, and um, yeah, so keep your eyes open for that folks on Facebook. Uh, so we're going to move on now. Uh, thank you so much for those uh, stories. Uh, Samantha Jean and Kimberly, uh, we're going to do our call to action, right? Because this is not just, you know, it's not just a Facebook live with some talking heads. It is what are you using the information for, right? We're talking about this threat that Mitch McConnell is to democracy, is to Kentucky, is to our nation. Uh, obviously, uh, we had our chance to vote and we screwed it up. Uh, but what I do know is that in Georgia right now, there's a last chance uh, of, in fact, shaping the Senate uh, landscape and keeping uh, Mitch from being the majority leader for another six years, uh, so or at least for another two years. Uh, so let's go ahead and do what we can to help there, right? So we've got a runoff election that is on January 5th. Uh, we've got John Ossoff running against David Perdue. Uh, we've got Reverend Raphael Warnock running against Kelly Loeffler. Really, really important that, uh, that the Democrats sweep this election, right? So we all know uh, despite what Trump has told you, uh, Joe Biden won Georgia. So all we need to do is do that again, <laughs> which, you know, that's, that's like a little tough sledding, right? right. Um, this is really uh, a challenge to do. Uh, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. It's uh, that when you tell people about the policies that matter uh, and what Mitch will do, to stop those policies from happening, right? So Joe Biden campaigned on a lot of great stuff. He's got a really aggressive climate change, uh, you know, platform. He's you know campaigned on a $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, he's campaigned on healthcare expansion. He has campaigned on all these things that people really care about. You know, a contract with rural America to help rural America, uh, you know, develop and advance. All this stuff, people like it. You know, these are all like strong policies. 
The problem is <laughs> if Mitch McConnell is in power, uh, Joe Biden's ability to get any of that stuff, the Biden-Harris uh, you know, ticket, they are going to be incredibly hamstrung because Mitch McConnell is going to block everything. Uh, it's not like he just didn't like Obama, so he stopped Obama's agenda from moving forward when he could. Uh, it's because that's just his worldview is like the Republican worldview is important. Uh, and that means no $15 an hour minimum wage. That means no action on climate change. That means no expansion on health care. And in fact, we will probably take away your health care. That means no you know, legalization for DACA, uh, certainly no legalization for marijuana. So, you know, everything that people actually think is valuable and what government could do to improve your life, Mitch McConnell will block that. No, no if, ands, or buts. Uh, so we have got to stop Mitch from being the majority leader, from having the power uh, to block it, because, you know, the way the rules are in the Senate, uh, he is incredibly powerful as a majority leader. So what can we do about it? You can't move to Georgia and vote. That's a joke. No one's doing that. It's a, it's a right-wing meme. But what you can do is you can go to uh, voteforward.org, indivisible, get yourself a list of high potential voters, voters who don't necessarily always vote, but we think when they vote, they vote on our side. We need to make sure they know. Uh, these are folks who maybe aren't watching the TV, so they haven't seen the, I'm sure, way too many ads about this uh, runoff race. Uh, so these are folks, you can write a letter to them. You can put a, like a, a, you know, a specific note about why you think voting is powerful. You can encourage them to be a voter. You can thank them for being a voter. And there's some really good tips on how to do it, what kind of language to use. So if we write as our normal kind of politically outraged personas to these voters who don't really care that much about politics or else they would vote all the time, uh, you're going to turn them off. So uh, we've got some amazing language, uh, Indivisible and Vote Forward have actually tested through, uh, you know, through these different types of social science experiments and found out what actually, what language works to motivate people to get to the polls. So the, the message you're sending them is actually super powerful and the most powerful message it possibly can be. Uh, and, you know, and it's a personal letter. Like who doesn't want to get a personal letter, right? It's not some mailer that's talking about Warnock being a socialist, right? You know, it's not an, a mailer about how, you know, Ossoff is going to, you know, do what horrible thing, right? Because of course, that's all they've got is attack ads. Uh, they can't really, you know, they got lies and attack ads because uh, they don't really have an agenda that people support. Uh, but you can get this out to these, you can download a list of 20, you know, crank them out, you do another 20, you know, get these letters out there uh, so we can drive the turnout. Because folks, Republicans vote like it's their job. <laughs> Democrats are like, nah, maybe I'll, when was that election again? You know, the, in terms of the Democratic base, they're unfortunately not always as, you know, connected as we would like them to be. Uh, Republicans don't worry about it. And then if you kind of Trumpize the Republican base, it's even worse, right? So, uh, you know, uh, that's what we got going on right now. That's the call to action. I hope you'll you go to that website right now, sign up, agree to the kind of conditions, which are that you're going to like follow the guidance uh, and not just write how much you hate Mitch McConnell uh, on the letter. Uh, but it, it's a really good system and a really good program. And I think we should all take advantage of it. That's a call to action. Woo. All right. Thanks for doing what you do, people. All right. Um, and then I think we are now going to hand it over to Samantha Jean to bring on our guest. 
Yes, thank you so much for that call to action. Uh, we, you can make it very easy and kind of fun um, as we're all sitting at, at home with nothing else to do except to write letters to strangers in Georgia. Um, I think that's a, that's a great idea and I, I'm gonna be looking into that. So, um, so excited to bring our guest. It is Dr. Brian Clardy, and I have so many wonderful, great things to say about him. Um, he comes from my neck of the woods. He is currently in Mur at Murray State, um, which is just right next to me. So I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Dr. Brian Keith Clardy is an associate professor of history at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. Clardy holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from the University of Tennessee at Martin and a Master of Public Administration degree from Murray State. He earned his Doctor of Philosophy degree in Historical Studies from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. And he has written two books, The Management of Dissent, Responses to the Post-Kent State Protests at Seven Public Universities in Illinois, and A Testament of Grace, Sermons and Reflections. Dr. Clardy has served as a member of the Board of Trustees at Sewanee, the University of the South from 2009 to 2015. He served as a board member of the Center of Renewable Energy Research and Environmental Stewardship, appointed three times by Governor Steve Bashir. And, and in 2020, he was appointed to the Kentucky Humanities Council and the Kentucky Oral History Commission by Governor Andy Bashir. He was a delegate to the 2016 and 2020 Democratic National Conventions and was a Democratic presidential elector for the Kentucky's first congressional district in 2012 and 2016. He currently serves on the Callaway County Democratic Executive Committee. He is also the Wednesday night host of Cafe Jazz on WKMS 91.3 in Murray, Kentucky. Dr. Clardy, welcome to Demote Mitch Monday. Thank you for and having me. And my first me. question for you is, yes, we're so happy you're here. And what does your protest sign say? My protest sign says, take back the United States Senate. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'm personally, I've always been interested in this. I think that the Electoral College um, is something that a lot of people really don't understand. It seems very secretive. And one of the biggest things that I have always wondered is how do you get to become a presidential elector? Because to me, it seems like a very secret thing. How did you get to, how, how were you able to have this honor? Well, in 2016 and in 2020, I, I basically attended the uh, Kentucky Democratic Convention, which was held later in the afternoon. But in that morning, I threw my head into the ring in the first congressional district uh, convention uh, that was held uh, about nine, 10 o'clock-ish that morning. And um, the first time in 2016, uh, I gave a little speech about, you know, how great Barack Obama was. No, no, it wasn't 2016, it's 2012. Uh, I, gave this great speech about how great Barack Obama was and how what a great president he was and what a bad president Mitt Romney would be. And somehow I got elected in 2012. I knew that I was not going to be able to cast that vote because uh, the chances of President Obama carrying Kentucky in 2012 was as great as cotton candy growing up in my front yard. That was not going to happen. 
2016, mm-hmm. I supported another person who uh, ran for elector that year, and she won. Um, but the thing about it was she was not a Hillary fan, and she made that very, very clear. And she openly endorsed Jill Stein. So she was removed as an elector in 2016, and I was asked, since I was the alternate would I be on the ticket again in 2016 for Secretary Clinton? And here again, I knew that there was a chance that uh, Hillary Clinton was not going to carry the Commonwealth of Kentucky. The chances of that happening is if port wine poured out of my sink when I opened it up in the morning, that just wasn't going to happen. Um Electors are chosen either by state central committee organizations or by state conventions and so forth. And the state parties put forth their slate of electors, uh, depending upon the, the, how, how the state does it. Uh, they put forth their slate. And that's who you're really voting for on Election Day. You're voting for the candidate and you're going to hope that your candidate wins your particular your state because your electors then will be received into the Electoral College in December, and they will then formally vote for the president of the United States. Now, here's the deal. A presidential elector, once chosen, once certified, once they sit there in that state capitol, they don't have to vote for the person that they represent. And that has happened as recently as 2016. A few Republican electors voted for Colin Powell, Mm -hmm. One voted for John Kasich. In 1972, Richard Nixon, of course, soundly defeated Senator George McGovern. He won 521 electoral votes, a huge landslide for Nixon. But the the record indicates that Nixon really won 520 votes because there was a person who voted, I believe a Virginia or North Carolina delegate, one of the two, decided to vote for John Hospers, who was the libertarian candidate. So the record reads, Nixon, 520, George McGovern, 17, John Hospers, 1. Now, what would happen and what would have happened if the Electoral College had decided Nixon electors, Trump electors, had voted for someone else? That person would have been president of the United States. Would it have been a big brouhaha about it? Absolutely. But electors are not pledged to do so. And and oftentimes you do have the problem of the faithless electors happen a lot. I thought that was the whole point. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, uh, Dr. Clardy. Wasn't that the point of the Electoral College was that there was some like check on in case someone crazy gets elected by a popular vote, then the electors are like, whoa, 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 maybe this is not a great idea, people. Um, Which, you know, it's like, if it didn't work for Trump, what are we doing? What is the point of this thing? Well, I've been beating the drums for the last 30 some odd years calling for the repeal of the Electoral College. If for one reason only, that was because the framers of the Constitution did not have a lot of faith in uh, the broader society to elect enlightened and good leaders. And so they placed it in the hands of elites. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that, was, that was the whole focus of it. They feared this whole idea of tyranny of the majority. Madison talks about it quite a bit. And, but here's the thing, there's a precedent for getting rid of the Electoral College. And this is what the precedent, precedent is. The framers of the Constitution uh, originally called for state legislators to elect United States senators. 
Here again, you're putting the decision in the hands of the elites rather than in the hands of the voters. Well, a constitutional amendment is passed in the early 20th century that allows for people to directly elect United States senators. So there is a precedent for that. And I don't know if the headwinds are going to blow in the direction of getting rid of the Electoral College. I guess we'll see after December. Um, what could possibly go wrong in December? I don't know. Um, my gut tells me that December 14th, next week, Joe Biden will be officially the president-elect of the United States. After what I saw in Michigan here over the, over the weekend, I'm beginning to worry whether or not some intimidation is going to be brought to bear on the meeting of the electoral colleges in some of these states. Um, I hope not. But um, I do believe the electoral college is very outdated. And uh, most Americans would probably agree that we need to get rid of it. I mean, it's pretty telling, right? So the, the U.S. Constitution is pretty... A significant document, incredibly historic document that inspired so many other constitutions around the globe, right? Sure. Yes. Except the Electoral College. You know, that was not a piece that was picked up, it seems like, by a lot of other nations when they were like, you know, hey, this is a good document. Let's take a bunch of these ideas. Like, Electoral College, nah, we're not using that. No, I, I, I totally agree. My understanding that, was that the. No, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Samantha Jean. Oh, I'm I'm just a, I'm just a chatty Kathy, but my understanding was that the electoral college was basically created because Americans were illiterate, like that we were like that we literally were too stupid to elect voters for for ourselves. So I personally see it as like a huge insult. And when people say, "Oh no, we need the electoral college," it's really because there are there's only you know the only way that someone would ever be elected having not won the popular vote would be through the electoral college and I, and I see no justification whatsoever in a modern society why we would have this outdated system mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense i think that we have a popular vote that's what democracy is one person one vote how is there any justification for any other scenario it does not make any sense I totally agree. And let's get had back to, say to that. the political Sorry, literacy just had piece. To say that. Oh, no, I'm glad you said that. Let's get back to the political literacy piece. Um, one thing that they did not have in 1787 and 1788, they did not have the huge type of public school systems that we have. So, I mean, I guess that would account for some of the illiteracy. I suppose that that would. Now we have public schools. We have people who make it at least past the 12th grade. We have people who can read at seventh, eighth grade and beyond level. We have in 2020, a technologically advanced society where you can get your news and your information on your telephone. We have a 24 hour news cycle. Uh, we have public radio, public television. Um, we have podcasts just like this one. So there's no excuse for no one not to know the issues. And this whole notion about people being illiterate is just plain bunk. It's an elitist argument, and I'm glad that you raised that, because that's exactly what it is. Dr. Clarity, I'd like to ask you a question. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? I've been talking to you for a while. It's been it's too long. 
Yes. Oh, I know. So my question also um, is some of my research and things like that. Can you speak to us about the Electoral College and how slaves um, uh, were involved with this decision of Electoral College? Well, the South certainly did not, the South and the slaveholding states certainly didn't want to give up a, a whole lot of ground, that's for sure. I mean, let's go all the way back to the North-South compromise and the question of counting um, uh, of counting people for the census for the purpose of apportioning the House of Representatives. The North did not want slaves counted at all. The South did. If slaves were counted in the population, and certainly slaves were not going to be able to vote or stand for public office, this increases the number of the population in the South. This is certainly going to help the South when it comes to money bills and, and, and appropriations and things of that sort. So they came to this, what was called the three-fifths compromise, where slaves would, and I don't think this was an arbitrary number, uh, the slaves were counted as three-fifths of a person. Oh, well, that kind of fit the paradigm back then. This whole idea that the African slave was not completely human in the first place. So I suppose that they would count black folks as three-fifths of a human being. But, um, but part of the electoral college in that regard, as you mentioned, was to preserve slavery and the slaveholding power. The South simply did not want to give up this, uh, their power, their position, their privilege, and anything that even hinted at the fact that you would have popular election with the president certainly was going to point in that direction. Dr. Clarity, I want to also ask you, moving into counting and things of this nature, uh, you know, Georgia is on my mind, okay? Yes. And, uh, you know, Trump going around talking about all of this fraud, 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 you know, the election has already been certified. He is the president-elect. Mm -hmm. You know, has anything like this ever happened before? Or has it happened anywhere before? And then the other thing I, I jot down right here that I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you think this runoff is going to uh, end up? And I do have a third question, a third part of the question for you okay. as well. Getting back to, has, has, has a candidate for office ever protested the results of the Electoral College or the results of a presidential election to where they made a lot of hay out of it. The closest I can think of is the election of 1824. This is when Andrew Jackson uh, won the popular vote in 1824, uh, did not win a majority in the Electoral College. Um, the race was thrown to the House. Henry Clay, of course, drops out, supports John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams wins the 1824 election. And for the next four years, Andrew Jackson is going to run around yelling about corrupt bargain. And he's going to use that as the basis of running in 1828. And certainly he did so. And he won. Certainly in 1960, of course, there was a lot of question about what happened in Illinois and in Texas those two states which helped give John Kennedy the election in 1960. And of course, there was a lot of huge, big brouhaha about that. Of course, that kind of went away. Um, what President Trump is doing is not only dangerous and irresponsible, but it threatens to undo democracy itself. It is race baiting 101, plain and simple. Because if you, if you listen to some of his screeds since the last election, and some of the places where he ordered recounts 
Where were they? They were in places where you had large majority African-American population, which voted heavily for Joe Biden. He criticized the election results in Wisconsin. Of course, he won that in 2016. He lost it in 2020, in part because you had a huge African-American turnout in Milwaukee. He did the same thing in Michigan, same thing, Detroit, huge black population. Um, and now, now Georgia, which has been certified again after another recount. So what's the, what, what is the subtext behind this? Atlanta, black population, rural Georgia, huge black population. It just seemed to me that President Trump go figure, criticized and was very, very ugly about uh, the election results in places where you had huge, massive black voter turnout uh, that did not support him and he lost the election. That wasn't just racial dog whistle. And what we heard last night in Georgia wasn't racial dog whistle. It was huge, full on bullhorn. And so what that's going to do mm -hmm. is going to undermine a lot of confidence in elections, in democracy itself. Remember, Donald Trump won some over 70 million votes. That's nothing to sneeze at. So Joe Biden is going to go into the presidency in January with this whole notion with half the country thinking that the election was stolen in his favor. So he's already going to be going into a divided America. That's one. Now, as it relates to Georgia, Georgia is going to be the key, of course, to the control of the United States Senate. Now, here's the thing. Some things on election night went right for Democrats. We won the presidency. We won uh, Colorado. That was a race we won. Of course, Cory Gardner loses to John Hickenlooper. That was good. I was pleased with that. Uh, we did not lose Michigan. Thank goodness. I was afraid that we would lose Michigan. We did not. Um, Mark Warner gets reelected in, in uh, West in Virginia. Sadly, in North Carolina, Cal Cunningham loses to Tom Tillis. That was one, hopefully, that was one election that I was hoping that we would pull off. And I was hoping we'd pull off Texas, too. Didn't quite happen. But what happened was, in Georgia, in those two particular Senate races, um, there had to be a runoff. Uh, Warnock, Dr. Warnock did quite well in that race, as did Mr. Mr. Ossoff, which now you have a major, huge uh, uh, election runoff in Georgia, which will determine control of the United States Senate. If, let's just hope, this best case scenario, Ossoff and Warnock win in, on January 5th. What does that do? That ties the United States Senate. Who's going to be vice president of the United States? A black woman a black woman Democrat. She will be that 51st vote who will break all ties when the Senate votes on things, giving the Democratic Party, the House and the presidency to the Democratic Party. There are a lot of people who do not like that. And race is certainly going to play a major part in how Georgia's decided between now and January 5th. Dr. Clarity, um, so Knowing that all of this is happening, knowing everything that Donald Trump, the alleged president, is doing right now in these last days, pulling troops uh, from uh, mm. important areas. Yes. I have a daughter right now that's uh, actually deployed in Doha, uh, Qatar. Um, and it, it's very contentious right now. 
domestically and foreign. And this election, I believe everything is running on it. Do you believe also that everything's running on this uh, Georgia runoff? I mean, it is. everything's running on it. It is. It is. It is. When I heard about the proposed withdrawal from, from Somalia, my heart dropped. Because uh, uh, Al-Shabaab and Al-Qaeda and other groups have been trying to make inroads into Somalia for well over 10, 15 years. Uh, when I first saw that, I thought to myself, is the president trying to set us up to get hit down the road? Because at this rate, if he keeps pulling uh, the residual troop uh, numbers out of both Iraq and Somalia, that is a distinct possibility. The different terrorist groups um, and, and other non-state actors can basically regroup and maybe attack some of our interests abroad. Um, Where's the congressional leadership? Where's Where's Mitch McConnell on this? He should be beating the drums and very critical of the, of these particular uh, withdrawals of troops. He should be very upset about this. Mitch McConnell, and I, I said this in the Courier Journal and in, in other places, he has abdicated his responsibilities as a senator. He has dropped the ball. He has failed America. He has co-signed a failed foreign policy for Donald Trump. And the sad thing about it is Mitch McConnell knows better. I was in high school. I just graduated high school in 1985. I met Mitch McConnell when he was a freshman senator in Fulton, Kentucky. I thought that he was a pretty reasonable guy, even though I hoped D. Huddleston had won. He didn't. McConnell won. But I didn't figure McConnell to be a crazy. Mitch McConnell sold his soul a long time ago. If we are not successful in Georgia, Mitch McConnell will continue as majority leader and he will hinder President Biden at every step. Count on it. That, that's what scares me. I believe. Thank you so much for answering my question. Thank you. You're no problem at all. No You're problem. so knowledgeable. I could listen to you like <laughs> all night long. Well, thank you. I appreciate like, it. I really could. I really could. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Clardy, I just want to say um, again, echo uh, Kimberly's uh, appreciation for you joining us tonight. Uh, you know, I love that you've got just you know such a, a varied background in terms of your you know historical and academic interests. That bit about the 1824 election and Andrew Jackson, I did not know that. Uh, of course, Mitch McConnell, or uh, of course. Um, Donald Trump is a big fan of Andrew Jackson. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he probably took his well, inspiration. Uh, well, you, you think about it. Andrew Jackson was the person responsible for the creation of the Trail of Tears, which led to the death of thousands of Native Americans. He was doing racial profiling long before it was called racial profiling. Yeah. Go figure. This is the, that's Donald Trump's M.O. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, thanks again for sharing your evening with us. Thanks for sharing your historical Thank you. perspective. Uh, I'm honored. And, uh, have, a, have, a, have a great, great night. You do the same. You all take care. Listen, stay in the fight. It, it's, it's not easy. You're going to run into some roadblocks, but stay in the fight. The, our country is at a crossroads right now, and your voices are definitely needed. Awesome. And I hope that you will uh, consider joining us again in the future uh, to share to share your views, Dr. Clardy. You got my number. <laughs> All, right. All right. Anytime. Thanks. All right. And so I think we're going to throw it over to uh, to Kimberly at this point to kind of close us out uh, for the evening uh, with uh, a few kind of 
uh, house cleaning notes uh, that we need to get uh, taken care of? Well, I want to know, first of all, are you getting our newsletter? It's such a wonderful newsletter filled with information that you honestly can use and keep up to date on what's going on. So if you're not getting our newsletter right now, shoot us a DM, okay, on Facebook or Twitter, and we will sign you up. I mean, you're missing out if you're not getting one. Also, I want to say that I, we love Ken. We love Ken from Couch Fire Media. He puts this show together. He is so classy and knowledgeable about what he's doing. And you can see more of his work and his team at couchfiremedia.com. And then always, I know you've been jamming with us in our intros and outros, and we want to give a big shout out always to Nate or Shan, and you can listen to more of his music and his songs at natesongs.com. Also, you know, to do this type of work and to help in Georgia, it does take money. No one really likes to talk about money or beg for money or ask you for money, but we do need funds to continue this work that we're doing. And it's a very important work a very important work for our democracy, for the future of our country. So if you could please donate any amount to the Act Blue link that you're seeing on your screen right now. We really appreciate any amount. We are appreciated and you will be appreciated. So also just want to let you know next week, Doug Price is going to be doing his thing. I know you love Doug. He's going to be talking about Purdue and, and, and the things with uh, Ossoff. So make sure that you're here next week, seven o'clock on Monday. And to get a dose of just some settled back conversations, join me on our Facebook page, the Jones Report radio program, which comes on one o'clock every Sunday with Mike Royer and Betsy Foster and myself. So until then, we'll see you next week. Me.